0: Took Wilson's left wrist and groped for a pulse. Sammy Tigertail felt obliged to unbutton the man's shirt and pound on his marble chest for several minutes. The Indian elected to forego mouth-to-mouth contact, as there obviously was no point. Wilson was as cold to the touch as a bullfrog's belly. In his pockets, the Seminole found the disposable camera, $645 cash, a wallet, keys to a rented Chrysler, a cellular phone two marijuana joints three condoms and a business card from the blue dolphin escort service sammy tigertail put back everything including the cash then he took out his own cell phone and called his uncle tommy who advised him to remove the dead white man from the reservation as soon as possible in the absence of more specific instructions sammy tigertail wrongly assumed that his uncle meant for him to dispose permanently of wilson not merely transport him to a neutral location. Sammy Tigertail feared that he would be held responsible for the tourist's death and that the tribal authorities wouldn't be able to protect him from the zeal of Collier County prosecutors, not one of whom was a Native American. So Sammy Tigertail ran the airboat back to the dock and carried Wilson's body to the rental car. No one was there to witness the transfer, but any casual observer, especially one downwind of Wilson's boozy stink, would have concluded that he was a large, sloppy drunk who'd passed out on the swamp tour. Having positioned the corpse upright in the back seat, Sammy Tigertail drove directly to Everglades City, in the heart of the Ten Thousand Islands. There he purchased four anchors and borrowed a crab boat and headed for a snook hole he knew on the Lost Man's River. Now, a single coppery bubble marked the spot where the dead man had sunk. Sammy Tigertail stared into the turbid brown water, feeling gloomy and disgusted. It had been his first day working the airboat concession, and Wilson had been his first customer. His last, too. After returning the crab boat, he called his uncle Tommy to say he was going away for a while. He said he wasn't spiritually equipped to deal with tourists. "'Boy, you can't hide from the white world,' his uncle told him. "'I know, because I tried.' "'Do we own the Blue Dolphin Escort Service?' asked Sammy Tigertail. "'Nothing would surprise me,' said his uncle. "'At about the same time, in a trailer not far from the fishing docks, "'a boy named Fry looked up from his dinner plate and asked, "'What is this crap?' It was not an unreasonable question. Salisbury steak, Honey Santana said. It tastes better than it looks. Did you get fired again? No, I quit, Honey said. Now hush up and eat. As her son well knew, she resorted to frozen dinners only when she was out of work. What happened this time? he asked. You remember Aunt Rachel's chihuahua? yum-yum boy. The one that got killed, right? Trying to hump a raccoon. Yeah, well, that's what Mr. Piejack is like, Honey said. Only bigger. She took a small bite of the tough gray meat. It was gruesome, but she managed to smile. Fry shrugged. So, did he make a move or what? You could say that, Mr. Piejack was the owner of the fish market, and he'd been sniffing after Honey for months. He was married and had numerous other unsavory qualities. "'You know those little wooden mallets we sell at the register?' Honey said. Fry nodded. "'For cracking stone crab claws.' "'Right. That's what I whacked him with.' (sighs) "'Where?' "'Where do you think?' As Fry pushed away from the table, Honey hurried to explain. He grabbed my breast. That's why I did it. Her son looked up. For real? You're not making this up. My right breast, I swear to God. Honey solemnly entwined her hands over the object of Mr. Piejack's lust. What an a-hole, Fry said. Totally. Totally. After I hit him, he started rolling on the floor, moaning and whining. So I grabbed a slab of tuna out of the cooler and shoved it down his pants, you know, to keep the swelling down. What kind of tuna? Yellowfin, Honey said. Sushi grade. Fry grinned. He'll throw it back on the ice and sell it to some snowbird. That's gross, Honey said. How much you want to bet? Hey, I could fix us some soup. She got up and scraped the Salisbury steaks into the garbage can. Minestrone or cream of tomato? Whatever. Fry scooted his chair back to the table. Sometimes he believed that his mother was on the verge of losing her mind. And sometimes he believed that she was the sanest person he'd ever met. Now what, Mom? You know my friend Bonnie? She's doing these eco-tours where she takes tourists kayaking out to Cormorant Key, Honey said. She says it's a ton of fun, and the money's pretty good, too. Anyway, driving home from Marco this afternoon, I noticed a string of bright yellow kayaks crossing the bay, and I thought, what a heavenly way to spend the day, paddling in the sunshine through the mangroves. Kayaks, Fry said skeptically. Is this the same Bonnie with the solar-powered sewing machine? You sound like your ex-father. "'He's not my ex-father. "'He's your ex-husband. "'Anyway, what did I say wrong?' "'Oh, just the look on your face.' Honey took the soup pot off the stove. "'What was I supposed to do, Fry? "'The man squeezed my boob. "'Did he deserve to be clobbered with a crab hammer in the testicles, or did he not? "'How much does a kayak cost?' Honey set two bowls on the table. I'm not sure, but we'll need at least two or three for starters. And where would you take these goobers on your eco-tour? Fry asked. I mean, since Bonnie's already locked up Cormorant Key. Honey laughed. Have you looked out our window lately? Have you noticed all those gorgeous green islands? The phone began to ring. Honey frowned. Every night, she said, like clockwork. Then don't answer it, her son said. No, I've had it with these clowns. Enough is enough. More than a thousand miles away, a man named Boyd Shreve stirred a latte and listened on his wireless headset to a phone ringing somewhere distant in the 239 area code. A photocopied script lay on the desktop in front of him, but Boyd Shreve no longer needed it. After three days, he knew the pitch cold. Shreve was employed by Relentless Inc., a telemarketing company that specialized in outbound sales calls to middle-income residential addresses in the United States. The firm's call center was a converted B-52 hangar in Fort Worth, Texas, where Boyd Shreve and 53 other solicitors toiled in individual cubicles that were padded to dampen ambient noise. In the cubicle to the right of Boyd Shreve, was a woman named Eugenie Fonda, who claimed a murky connection to the famous acting family and, in any case, had recently become Boyd Shreve's mistress. To the left of Boyd Shreve sat a man named Sacco, who was cavern-eyed and unfriendly and rumored to be a dot-com burnout. During work hours, Boyd Shreve rarely spoke to any of his co-workers, including Eugenie, due to the onerous calling quotas imposed by Relentless Inc., they were on the phones from 5 p.m. to midnight, strafing east to west through the time zones. It was a dreary and soulless job, though not the worst that Shreve had ever held. Still, at age 35, he realized that the feeble arc of his career had more or less flatlined during his six months in telemarketing. He probably would have quit were it not for six-foot-tall Eugenie, the ash-blonde crest of whose head he could gaze upon at will in the adjoining carol. Boyd Shreve had been in sales since the age of twenty-six. Corrective footwear, farm equipment, automobiles, new and used, fertilizer, herbal baldness remedies, high-definition televisions, and exotic pet supplies. That he had failed to succeed, much less prosper, surprised no one who knew him. In person, Boyd Shreve was distinctly ill-suited for the craft of persuasion. Regardless of his mood, there was an air of sour arrogance about him, a slant to one thin reddish eyebrow that hinted at impatience, if not outright disdain, a slump of the shoulders that suggested the weight of excruciating boredom, a wormish curl of the upper lip that was often perceived as a sneer of condescension, or worse, a parody of Elvis.